0: You are tuning into Pro Bono Perspectives live from Brooklyn, where the city never sleeps and purpose is more than just a buzzword. Pro Bono Perspectives brings together leaders that have traveled across sectors, industries, and experiences on their path to creating change for the communities in which they live and work. And I'm your host, Danielle Holley, CEO of Common Impact, a national nonprofit that designs skills-based volunteer programs that amplify the impact of social change organizations by harnessing the talents and the skills of private sector employees. I am lucky enough to cross paths with these leaders every day through my work with Common Impact and can't wait to bring you behind the scenes to share their stories. Hi, everyone. Today, I am excited to be joined by Jerome Tennille, who is the manager of social impact and volunteerism at Marriott International and also leads a corporate social responsibility consultancy called Architecting Social Good. Jerome is a social sector leader who is at and has been at the forefront, the intersection of service and equity throughout his career from his time in the Navy to nonprofit management and now corporate social responsibility. And we at Pro Bono Perspectives and Common Impact are spending more time then even as usual for us in conversation around that intersection during Black History Month and really lifting up and hearing from Black leaders in the space that are fighting for racial justice within the context of service and volunteerism. And Jerome in particular is one of my favorite thought leaders to follow. He has provocative titles that hit my inbox every now and then like the future of volunteering isn't virtual, and I'll tell you why, which is provocative (laughs) in our space, I promise, and and because his insights are really deep and candid around diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism in the context of volunteering, and in particular, corporate social impact. So today, we got a chance to dive into these topics a little bit more He shares his experience working in CSR in one of the hardest hit industries, hospitality during the pandemic, what it looked like for his team to get furloughed, what that meant for volunteerism and service at Marriott and the learning that other companies were able to do, and why challenging assumptions is a daily practice for him. Hi, Jerome. Welcome to the show today. So excited to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So let's start with your career, which I remember the first time you told me about your career. We were sitting in a coffee shop in DuPont Circle and you were I think, a couple of weeks in, if not in your first week of your current gig at Marriott. And your career started with seven years in the navy followed by full-time committee and council member positions within veteran organizations impact 2030 many other prominent nonprofits. And now you are Marriott International's Manager of Social Impact and Volunteerism, which is an enormous mandate. And you also have side gigs and consultations and you're very prolific with your thought leadership. So I wonder how you do it all. But (laughs) before we go there, tell us how you got to where you are today and what you've learned along the way.
1: Yeah. And I think most people who get into the work that I do, there's not like a traditional career path or trajectory. And so if you were to talk to me 10 years ago, while I was still in the military, and if you had asked me, you know, what I see myself working in corporate responsibility for a hotel company, I would ask you, well, what is corporate responsibility, right? Like that's something i didn't know anything about but you know the truth is is that when i was serving in the military i became very duty driven and purpose driven as a professional and that sense of purpose for me personally it it drove me into working in the nonprofit sector as a volunteer coordinator for a national 501c3 nonprofit when I was making that transition from military service at the latter part of 2011 and really starting that new career track in January 2012. And I think for me, it was definitely a steep learning curve, right? I didn't know anything about volunteer engagement other than I had been a volunteer at some point in my life. And I think I remember... Right. So the military transition by itself is difficult, but for the first couple of years, being a volunteer coordinator for a national nonprofit, I struggled quite a bit in whether or not I wanted to keep doing that work. And, you know, how that was going to um, define the rest of my life and what I wanted to do professionally. And I was pleasantly surprised that I became very passionate about the work that I did. But it was also, I think, through that time that I really found that as a volunteer coordinator, you work with a lot of companies. And I found that there was oftentimes a pretty big disconnect between companies and the communities that they seek to serve. And, there always seemed to be this imbalance of power between the companies that were supporting our organization. And you end up being that dog that is wagged by multiple tails, right? Because these are all different companies and corporations and different groups who generally have, you know, there's this this power imbalance that exists. And so after a few years of being a volunteer coordinator in a nonprofit sector, I I thought very purposely about, you know, where do I go from here? And I said, okay, well, corporate responsibility is what I want to do in part because I wanted to fix that issue that I was feeling on a constant basis. And of course, I also believe that, you know, one of the greatest positive changes that we're going to see in my lifetime will be through more, more purposeful uh, business practices. And so uh, I I really wanted to be a part of that. And I think when I think of things that I learned along the way, there's a term in the Navy and, and it's, it's more universal than just the, the Navy. It goes across different service branches, but the term is Simper Gumby. And, and that means always flexible. And that was true during every level of my service to this country, whether that was in the military, the nonprofit sector, and now in corporate responsibility is you know, being flexible on a daily basis is key because the things that are happening in the economy and society ultimately impact how I do my job. And so I got to be flexible to that every single day.
0: How do you realize that personal mission that you are bringing to the work because you're, you're right. And we have seen this come and impact. And I personally have seen this time and time again, when you're bringing together companies that are often large multinational fortune 500 companies with small local nonprofits, there is a natural power imbalance that is and power dynamics that are based on resources and who has the resources, right? And there's so much that is problematic about who has the resources and how we're directing resources in this country and in the world, but that is the reality that we're all operating in. So now you are at one of those large companies. How do you work individually at writing that power imbalance that you talked about?
1: Well, I think I have a different lens that I'm looking through, which certainly helps, right? So what I think would have otherwise been blind spots that I would have if I had a different professional and personal upbringing. Like if I had went to school, uh, got my MBA, uh, started down a more traditional path within the for-profit industry, within marketing or public relations, communications, I would say that I would probably have A very different perspective and lens that I'm looking through in the work that I do, right? I think, and and I think that's true for everybody. It just so happens that I worked in a nonprofit sector. So I am keenly aware of that power imbalance in the role that I do now because I have seen it and have been sort of victim to it. So I'm very sensitive to that. And so in a sense, because of my six years in a nonprofit sector, it's given me the awareness To understand that power balance and to be very actively trying to confront that in the actions that I do, in the conversations that I have with nonprofit organizations when trying to create programming, and also being very uh, transparent and candid with our partners about our goals, what we're seeking to do, and, and honestly telling them that if it doesn't work, then they need to tell me that. And I think because I've worked in a nonprofit sector, like it's given me that I don't want to call it street cred, but there's a level of trust that is automatically created because they know that I've been in their shoes. And so there's there's a certain amount of trust and candor that can happen at the onset of, you know, discussion or dialogue about what we are seeking to do. And it it evens things out quite a bit because of that. <laughs>
0: And it's so reminiscent. I think there's a lot of parallels to the diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives at companies and just racism in our society more generally, right? And I love how you started with you have the set of experiences and exposure that take away your blind spots or pull them back a little bit. And to me, that undergirding that is it's not about your own individual desire for power or anyone's individual desire for power or to be better than somebody else but it is the systemic dynamics that we are all working within and i think that's true of our society when it comes to racial justice and the dynamics between the corporate and the nonprofit sector and so having that shared experience that allows you to connect with now your constituents in those conversations is really powerful. So tell me about this past year at Marriott, right? I mean, you're in the hospitality industry and we know that that's one of the industries that was hit hardest by the pandemic for all of the clear reasons, right? People are not traveling, people are not staying at hotels. How did Marriott, and how did you think about employee engagement and volunteerism and service within that context?
1: Yeah, so gosh, a lot has changed. So when I joined the company in 2017, understand that the company had been around for um, about 90 years at that point. They've had a formal volunteer program for um, close to 20 years at the point in which I joined. And Things have changed quite a bit, right? So we have a very small team. And I would say now in this environment of COVID, we have a a smaller team um, than we had before. And so my role with the company has broadened quite a bit. Pre-COVID, we were really focused on, you know, we had pretty big goals. So to put this in perspective, four years ago, we worked through the process of aligning all of our social impact and sustainability work towards the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And you can see some of those goals, they're, they're pretty big, especially when they come to the, the output-generated number of volunteer hours, the percentage of properties that we are seeking to engage. We have very clear goals around skills-based volunteering and the vocational work to empower youth. And we had pretty big goals set around the amount of cash spend we would donate to many of our partners to help them deliver the outcomes that they that they're seeking. Fast forward to when you look at 2019, to put it in perspective, we had close to one point two million hours of volunteer service. That was 2019. You go into 2020, and of course, it has changed quite a bit. It was back in late March that we knew that we would be, from a headquarters perspective, many of us were furloughed for six months. From a property perspective, there are many hotels that were limited in operations or even had to close. And we still have many hotels that are closed to this day. And so that drastically changed the amount of resources that we had to bear in how we serve our communities. And so when we look at 2020, compared to the 1.2 million the the previous year, in 2020, it was just 400,000 volunteer hours. And that's I, you know, in, in, in my opinion, it's something to be, yeah, I was going to say it's something to be incredibly proud of. And what was really interesting is that 40% of that volunteer engagement and we're still tallying up the numbers, of course, but right now it looks at about 40% of the volunteer engagement was towards COVID-19 relief. These were blood drives. These were supporting our partners in poverty, food insecurity, some of our partners in disaster relief and some of the work that we're doing. But now that we have been back at work, I've been back at work since late September and now we're playing catch up. And what I mean by that is furloughed for six months. And during those six months, other industries that were not as negatively impacted or affected by the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic downturn, they had the opportunity to pivot, right? They, they had the opportunity to go through that process of learning virtual and remote and socially distanced volunteering. And back in September, October of last year of 2020, we had to play catch up, right? Other companies, they have been doing it for six, seven, eight months at that point. And we were starting from uh, ground zero. And now we're into the early part of 2021. And we are now designing and creating tools and resources and assets that are essentially catching our associates up in what virtual volunteering is how can they do uh, how can they participate in remote and socially distanced types of volunteer service whether it's on property or whether it's out in the community where we do still have an opportunity to support our partners and so we've essentially had to i don't want to say reteach but we've had to reimagine what volunteering is and and push the you know essentially push all the resources out that equip and empower employees to do that in a way that they may have not traditionally thought about. And so we're still making that transition and incorporating ideas. And it's still, for us, it's still um, quite a process.
0: So uh, speaking of virtual volunteering, a lot of work that you do, quote unquote, on the side is your thought leadership work and publication. And Last year, you published an article entitled, The Future of Volunteering Isn't Virtual. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> tell us what, what your argument is there.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, here's the thing, right? This isn't to diminish or take away anything from virtual forms of volunteering, right? It's a, it's a necessity. It's here to stay. But, oh, by the way, it's been, it's been around for 30 plus years, right? This is not a new thing. And I would even argue that virtual forms of volunteering is not even innovative, right? This is almost as old as I am as a person. The difference is that now people are more open-minded to adopting it. Now, the issue that I think that any form of volunteering has is that it's not immediately accessible or available to everybody. And it also requires a fair degree of digital literacy, and advanced programming and the ability to facilitate in a way that makes sense for that organization's service delivery model. And that just means that, you know, in a pre-COVID environment, there were 1.5 million tax-exempt organizations. Many of these organizations don't have the funding. They don't have the staff. They don't have the expertise. They don't have the capacity to essentially turn on a dime to digitize their services right there are a lot of organizations that work in poverty food and food insecurity homelessness ecosystem restoration that they cannot they cannot rely on virtual volunteering to be their primary go-to outlet and so those organizations have to manage the expectations of society that is now all of a sudden hyper focused on virtual everything. And I see it quite often in when the work that I do, s- folks that come up to me and they say, Hey Jerome, we're looking for virtual volunteer opportunities. And what I have to remind folks of is that for many organizations, it's just not a it's not it's not a primary means of how they're serving their community. And it's oftentimes discipline specific. Virtual volunteer opportunities require a great deal of facilitation for for organizations that don't have the capacity. They'll probably never have the capacity unless something changes with the, with their funding model and what strategic philanthropy and corporations are going to help them to achieve, to gain that capacity. So again, it's not to diminish virtual volunteering, right? Like I think that's here to stay. And in a really good way, I just, I hesitate to say that it'll become the primary means of how people volunteer, and I just think that it's it's up to folks in in our profession to manage society's expectation of that
0: Well and one of the things that' thinking about a common impact is you know, while the the increase in virtual volunteering in some ways provides us. Great opportunities for including employees in volunteerism and including nonprofits in volunteerism that wouldn't otherwise have access in a place based model, right? The smaller organizations in the states that don't have large corporate presences or the individual volunteers who maybe aren't at headquarters or in a branch office even but are remote workers and always have been we can now reach them and i think it also and i am i am of your mind right i think once we are able to gather again there's going to be a real demand and desire to be in the same room with people to have that place based and that local feel and i worry about sometimes the push against one of the things that we have been thinking a lot about I know you and I have talked about in the past is how digital inclusion layers onto all of this because there are about a third of of BIPOC communities cannot access the digital world (laughs) and that now cuts them off from uh, it, critical services like healthcare and education and employment opportunities, but it will also cut them off from volunteerism and capacity building opportunities unless we solve that problem first. So it's very complex. So tell me, outside of and this starts to get to the question of when you sleep. <laughs> outside of Marriott, you lead your own consulting firm called Architecting Social Good. That supports companies in thinking about this sort of programming and thinking about philanthropic giving and sustainability and thinking about the balancing of the power dynamics. Can you tell us a lot? One theme of a lot of your writing and what we've heard from you today is this idea of equity within service and volunteerism and CSR. Can you talk about what that means to you, why it is so important?
1: yeah of course, and I appreciate this question. of course, it's been a a topic I think it's been a it's been a, a greater topic within a nonprofit sector. you know how do we make volunteerism more equitable across the nonprofit sector at large um so it's an important question, and I appreciate your asking this. you know when I think about volunteering in the most broad sense, whether it's through a formalized institution or whether it's informal volunteering, peaceful marching, protesting, or other forms of activism to me it's a, it's a form of civic engagement where as individuals we can exercise our democracy as people and i think there are other organizations that see this similarly right for example points of light recently have really um broadened the conversation from just volunteerism to civic engagement and when you when you when you talk about volunteering as civic engagement and exercising democracy Then just like a political vote, where I think many of us are seeking to increase voter engagement, the time that you spend supporting cause areas or other focuses or where you're placing your time towards the values that you care about, it becomes just as important to create levels of access that allow people to do that. If we're going to talk about it in the sense of civic engagement and democracy. And so this is how I ask people to think about it. All right. And I promise I have a point here. And this is a larger discussion, but but it's important in the nonprofit sector at large. I think many of us can acknowledge that it's homogenous, you know. And this is this is not new. I think many of us can acknowledge this. Uh, in a pre-COVID environment, there was research, overwhelming research, that indicated that close to 80% of senior leader roles within the nonprofit sector are held by leaders who identify as white, Caucasian, or European descent, right? So from from one perspective, people of color are not at the decision-making table in many cases for these organizations. All right, separately, it's often black and brown communities that experience that lack of economic, social, and human capital. Unfortunately, those with less economic, social, and human capital oftentimes have less access to volunteer opportunities at the same organizations that advocate on their behalf. So what So what I'm seeing in society at large is that people of color, they're not at the decision-making table, nor do they have access to participate or have a voice in the same organizations that claim to advocate for them. So to me, when we think about volunteering, like a vote with your time as civic engagement, then we must do more to make it equitable for everybody to participate. Just like we would during an election year when we're trying to turn out the vote, we also have to create levels of access for other forms of civic engagement for communities of color. And so for me, it becomes incredibly important. When when I think about volunteering in that sense as democracy, then it becomes important that it's accessible to everybody.
0: And how do you, how do you make it accessible to everybody? You know, when these challenges are so systemic, right. And Um, uh, I've shared this on this podcast time and time again, right. Volunteering and skilled volunteering in particular is very, it's, it's white (laughs) and it's because we, the the ability to dedicate time that you're not getting paid for outside of work hours is an incredible privilege, right? And an incredible exception. And it's, it's dominant in the work that you and I do, right. But it it, in the wider world is really challenging to create that space. What are the tools without completely and fundamentally restructuring how
1: our economy and society works? Oh gosh. (laughs) I, well, Here's the thing, so when I think about it, I think there are several there are several levers of influence on this. I think a part of it can be solved by strategic philanthropy and I think we can all acknowledge that the the current funding models are generally broken and they're they're perpetuating issues in some sense. We also know that volunteer engagement is one of the least funded programs or areas or support mechanisms within a nonprofit sector most organizations cannot get corporations or foundations to fund the mechanisms that actually engage people in service right so that's one issue is that you have to get funders to essentially see the value in injecting more diversity equity and, and inclusion and anti-racism practices within the mechanisms that engage people in volunteering, right? Just like, a, just like an HR team or talent acquisition team might say, well, we need to inject DEI and anti-racism into our policies and our company culture. Volunteer engagement professionals, in my estimation, engage more people on a daily basis than any HR professional. So DEI and anti-racism work within the mechanisms that engage human beings in the act of service also have to be funded in a way that allows for us to be able to do that. Now, the other part of that, that mechanism is that the nonprofit itself, the leadership within the nonprofits that are engaging volunteers, they also have to see that equity and volunteering is an issue and that there has to be something done. And so I call these folks power brokers, but the power brokers within the nonprofit sector at these massive organizations whether they're executive director, CEO or the chief development officer they too also have to see the benefit of making access to volunteering more equitable some of these things can be solved for financially right like you said if if it is the difference of providing a stipend to a volunteer providing them transportation arranging for health, not healthcare, but childcare for these individuals so that you're removing some of these barriers that might be logistic or that might be financial, then we have to be able to do that. But it also requires that the nonprofit sector says, well, this is an issue and we are going to aggressively seek funding from funders who also prioritize this. And then you also have to get the professionals within volunteer engagement, to see that as being a value. And what I'll also share about the volunteer engagement profession is that too is very homogenous. I think I saw a progress report recently from Toby Johnson, who does a volunteer pro and 84%, it was 83 or 84% of the respondents to that progress, that volunteer engagement progress report, For 2021 indicated that they were uh, self-identifying as white, Caucasian or European descent, right? So we also know that the profession of the profession that engages people in volunteer service is also homogenous. And then you have to wonder what blind spots does the profession have when engaging volunteers, right? So it's, it's a massive issue. And again, I could go on a whole tangent. I won't, but it's a massive problem to solve.
0: When it gets back to what you were talking about at the top of our conversation around power dynamics, right? Because if you have largely white and white collar volunteers walking into a room to provide volunteer service to smaller nonprofits, that if they're not BIPOC-led or usually BIPOC-serving that 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 dynamic is reinforced right in just the different experiences and the different levels of privilege that the people in those rooms have experienced and it's harmful to the power dynamics that you talked about before so crystal ball jerome i mean you've talked about the future quite a bit in terms of what you think is next and or should be next for csr and corporate volunteerism but Thinking about this time next year, right, in a world where we are hopefully largely vaccinated and COVID is not such a day-to-day impact on our work and life and on the economy, what what do you see for volunteerism?
1: Yeah, so I, I, a couple of different things I would say. I think, so CSR, Corporate responsibility, corporate citizenship, whatever label you want to put on it. I think we have seen an acceleration of this, right? So we are in in sort of like an estimation of time. We're like five years ahead of where we probably would have been without COVID-19. You know, one of the things that I've seen is that man-made and natural disasters, you know, great, you know, great times of great need push A great urgency to accelerate things that are already happening, and so over the past year, say 2020, you know we've seen a greater emphasis on greater transparency. You have seen a greater emphasis on humanity, and in how how we support our employees, right, during furloughs and mass layoffs. Without prompting, we saw, you know, companies, you know, in manufacturing turning to, you know, instead of making cars, they've made ventilators and distillers making hand sanitizer and textile companies making more masks. We've even seen bold move and and bold action by companies A couple of which, you know, like there's a DC based pizza chain here called Ann Pizza, and then the shoe company Aldo. They provided, they started providing PTO to allow their employees to peacefully protest, right? So it was like this social justice PTO. And so we have seen an acceleration of sort of more progressive corporate responsibility. Now, I think the way that that's going to change volunteerism. And this goes back to, I think, something I shared earlier, right? The idea of virtual volunteering, to me, is not innovation. I think what we're going to see instead is not necessarily acts that are innovation, uh, in, in, in innovative, but we're going to start to see what I would say is like more of a shift in mindset. And I think we're already seeing some of this. And what I mean is the willingness and being more open-minded to try things that were ordinarily not fully adopted. Virtual volunteering is one of those things. Like I said, it's not innovative. It's been around for 30 years. The difference now is that it's a booming business out of necessity and people are more open-minded about it than than ever before. I remember <laughs> this was, gosh, 2018. I was having a conversation with somebody at Marriott and I had broached the topic of virtual volunteering and let's just say it didn't get a great reception, right? It, didn't, it wasn't well received because we have, as a society, we have been placing limitations on our own imagination and creativity around volunteering based on the way that we have always seen it or based on the way that we have been taught to do it and so for many people virtual volunteering was not a thing until now so now people are more open minded to it which is great i think what we'll also see is people in this shift of mindset will start thinking about volunteering beyond those narrow parameters of creating tangible items building a home or planting a tree one idea that i always share with people and i think people are being, becoming more open minded to is the uh, the idea of learning and being educated as a form of volunteering and in this scenario rather than creating something tangible you're just simply lending your time to a nonprofit to learn more about the organization and the issues that they're working to solve and how you can actually be a part of that solution and that one hour of time in my estimation could be considered volunteering and would count because to me learning is an action right when I say, well, I'm going to go volunteer, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to create something tangible. And I'm going to use one example. Yesterday, so Citizens Climate Lobby is an organization that I support. And yesterday we had uh, an hour and a half virtual meeting. And we just learned, we, we it was a training session where we learned how to be better advocates for climate change initiatives and programs. Within our local communities and our local politics, I learned for an hour and a half. I didn't actually create anything tangible, but as a volunteer, I lent my time to that organization and that counts as volunteer time in my estimation. And so I think people are going to start thinking about volunteering outside of the narrow parameters that they've created.
0: Well, and I think that is true of so many dimensions of work and work life right i mean one of the things that the pandemic has given us is a complete blur of of what is our personal and what is our professional and the way that that has been most visible is with kids and animals in the background of work zoom calls right and that being the norm now instead of the exception but I I also think that there's going to be in the way that employers are thinking about teasing apart skill sets from roles and thinking about the workforce more flexibly, there's just mm-hmm. going to be opening up and a breaking open of what it means to volunteer. It's just mm-hmm.
1: definitions, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which I think could be a really good thing. I mean, hard and could be potentially transformative in the way that we think about. And on, uh, Actually, our last podcast, we were talking about this idea that volunteering is this thing that you do versus a way of life and a way that you think about engaging with the community. And, and it seems like our one of the innovations that we could be looking at is a reintegration of service as a core way that we all live versus a thing that we do on the weekends.
1: Mm hmm. Of course.
0: What is the best part of your day?
1: I think the thing that really like puts a fire in my belly is, again, you know, challenging assumptions and challenging the status quo. And, you know, and that's it's a it's a daily it's a daily exercise. Right. Because I think yeah. in the work that I think many of us do, especially in corporate responsibility, we're we're trying to push the envelope in a way that meets the needs of society while also juggling the balance of working within the limitations of a company is designed to make revenue. And, you know, for me, it's waking up and putting my thinking hat on and saying, well, how can we do this better? How can we do this different? How can we do this in a way that meets everybody's needs and actually transform something more positively beyond the status quo
0: and you you really do do that you do that and you realize it and the way that it manifests at least in my part of the world is through your thought leadership and the articles that you write and even just your the titles of the articles that you write make us think more critically about the assumptions that are built into our day-to-day work and really move us towards a, a place of deeper equity. So thank you for that. Where can our listeners find your work and your thinking?
1: Uh, JeromeTanil.com. Couldn't be easier than that. <laughs> so we'll
0: it's send very that around easy.
1: with <laughs> with this
0: podcast. And thank you so much Jerome for joining us today and for giving us a little bit of, A peek into your work. Would love to have you back at some point. There's so much that we didn't touch upon. There's so much about (laughs) your background and your history that we didn't have time to go into. So if you'll have me, would love to have you back again. But thank you so much for taking a little time today.
1: Of course, I appreciate the opportunity. And you know, this, you know, when we talk about the best parts of my day, it's it's opportunities like this, connecting with other like-minded professionals that reignite that fire in my belly. So thank you again. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Pro Bono Perspectives today. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out our website at commonimpact.org. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Tune in to our upcoming episodes to hear from everyday leaders using their skills to help their communities.